Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Believe in UCLA football podcast. We'll be here with a new episode for you right after this quick note. With the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all of the up to the second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get in on the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Hello, hello, hello. James Williams of the Southern California News Group is back here with another Believe in UCLA football episode. And I'm happy to be joined today by my colleague for the Orange County Register and the Southern California News Group, John W. Davis. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, James. Always appreciate having you on. We've obviously worked together quite a bit, been to a number of different events together, um, just as recently as the Rose Bowl game, we'll probably touch on that a little bit later on in this episode. But um, one of the many duties you have, much like myself, we, we wear a lot of different hats, a lot do do a lot of different things here. Um, but one of the, your your newest duties is covering the UCLA men's basketball team. And I wanted to spend some time talking about that today, mainly because usually when, when things get a little rocky with the football season down the road, um, you get into that, you know, the grind of the season, fans start kind of wavering and they're like, Oh, you know, the media starting to talk to the basketball team. The basketball team's also practicing and they start looking at basketball as their saving grace and the, the thing that's going to save them from all things that are going wrong with the football team. But that hasn't been the case so far with, with the basketball team, it seems. Um, there's a number of different topics we can talk about, but um, let's just jump right into what the season has been like for you covering the team and just kind of what is your overall just kind of diagnosing this team what's wrong with them well first of all i want to say it has been that case if you are somebody who is dedicated and has been watching the ucla women's basketball team first of all shout out there. to them they're 14 mm -hmm. and 0 number two yep. in the nation uh, i don't have the pleasure of being their beat reporter but if mm -hmm. i did then i would say all is fair in bruins basketball but mm -hmm. on the men's side that's where they've got some work to do. After 15 games, this team is six and nine. They're one and three in conference, like a three-game losing streak, lost four straight at home. Like there's so many negatives going on right now. And I think a lot of this has to do not with the team's defense because they have the best defense when it comes to holding teams to a certain amount of points in the Pac-12. But they have not been scoring enough points to win games. And Coach Mick Cronin, I talk to him about this often, and sometimes he even knows that I'm going to ask the question before I ask the question. I basically have talked to him <laughs> several times about what is it going to take for this team to win? Like, what do they have to learn about winning? And, mm -hmm. you know, he will often say that, first of all, my best player is a Dembona. But a Dembona, the sophomore forward who sometimes plays center, he's a person who needs somebody else to run with him. Like, he's not going to be the person that's going to take it coast to coast and score like that. He's not right. a point forward. This is a power forward who needs a guard or a wing player, or preferably both, to get him the ball. Like, last year, Tiger and Jaime, 
like mm-hmm. those types of players to make this guy shine. Now, right. yes, he may be the team's best player, but right now he hasn't really been the team's go-to scorer. That is actually a freshman guard by the name of Sebastian Mack. This guy's averaging 14.3 points through the first 15 games. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people necessarily saw this coming, but mm-hmm. this is kind of where the roster is. We have seven true freshmen, eight newcomers, and only one senior who is a redshirt senior who is a backup big for this team. Like, they're just searching, and they still haven't found the answers midway through this season, James. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because a lot of and, – and just obviously this is the UCLA football podcast, so I always find a way to kind of – translated or or, or kind of compare it in a way but it, it reminds me of what the ucla football season has kind of been you had you know dorian thompson robinson zach charbonnet you had all these studs all these veteran guys and then it's like they're all gone they go pro you have to reload and either the cupboard's a little bare or it's just you know you're just kind of having to just literally reload and start over a little bit um, what do you kind of have an idea? Like, what was the expectation? Who was supposed to be uh, the second guy on this team? Obviously, Adembona had been the guy it was the guy everyone was familiar with from last year. Um, who was supposed to be that that one B, if anything? I know hearing all the hype during the offseason, you know, they, they were like striking out on all these American uh, guys that were through the, you know, through high school or whatever they may have been trying to do in the transfer portal. But they had to go overseas. They got a couple guys. Everyone was excited about that and the prospects of them. Was there a lot of hype on those guys that maybe one of those two guys was supposed to be that one B for this team? Or, you know, who's kind of I, I don't want to call someone out and say who's not pulling their weight. But how did you kind of project it early on? And, and, you know, let's do it like this, James. So on this team right now, people would probably project that there are three people right now who have. Mm-hmm. First round draft potential. They'll say really? a Dembona. On this who is team? somebody who yeah, they'll say potential. I'm not saying okay, they would be drafted in the first round right now. I'm just saying right. first round draft potential. Gotcha. Okay. Or just draft potential, period. Mm-hmm. Like within the next year or so. Sure. Okay. So they would say a Dembona, who is somebody who entered the draft last year, but he hurt his shoulder and so he pulled out of the draft. Mm-hmm. And then there's the freshman who's seven foot three. You can't teach height, a Daimara. Mm-hmm. All right. And then there's Burke Bukangel. He is a six foot nine, two hundred and forty-five pound, like power forward-ish from Turkey. So those would be the three. So you would say one of those two would be the one B. But I'll actually tell you this. I'll say I would say they probably thought the one B was going to be the second person who was invited to Pac-12 Media Day. Now they invited mm-hmm. a Dev Boner to speak, and it was Lazar Stefanovic. This is their transfer from Utah. This is somebody who averaged right. double digits last year in the Pac-12. And so I'm thinking, they were thinking, hey, this is our junior because he's the only like junior in the rotation too. Right. Like if you talk about rotational players who get big minutes, this is the most experienced player you have. And so I'm thinking that they're thinking that this is going to be our guy because this is the guy who they're hoping that won't hesitate when he gets the ball to shoot. This is the guy who they're hoping will be an above-average three-point shooter. This is the guy who they say, oh, yeah, he's a better rebounder than a lot of people his size. So I think that was supposed to be the 1B guy because Mm -hmm. if he wasn't, then 
why would you invite him to Pac-12 Media Day? Right. Like, I think those things matter, especially being yeah. that he was a newcomer. It wasn't somebody who was brought up in the program. This is somebody who purposely transferred here to UCLA basketball from Utah to to UCLA. And so I think he was supposed to be that that ex, that secondary score, or maybe even the primary score, because that's the thing. I keep saying, like, a Dem Bona, Coach Cronin says that he is their best basketball player, but he has to have somebody pass him the ball, unless he's right. getting it off the bounce. Mm-hmm. Now, he could, he could do that, you know, if he just dominated every <laughs> offensive right. rebound, he could be the leading scorer off that, but that's, that's hard to do. Like, rebounding mm-hmm. is as much skill as it is, or as much effort as it is skill. So right. he can't just necessarily say like, oh yeah, I'm gonna average a double-double and half of them are gonna be offensive rebounds, no. Maybe one day, but not right now. So I would say that they're still searching for that go-to person. And recently, Coach Cronin, Coach McCronin, was saying that he wants to develop Bearcade maybe as that go-to scorer because I've watched this guy in practice. I've watched this guy warm up. Yes, he's 6'9". Yes, he's 245. He has the size of a power forward. But between you and me and everybody else who's listening, James, like this guy has skills to be a wing. He can handle the ball. He can shoot. He can pass. He can do all of those things that we know and Mm -hmm. we have known that European, even their big players, can do. So, like, I think out of everybody right now, and being that this is midseason, I would think that Barricade would be the guy. If he gets going, him and Adem, they could do well together because, like, yeah, Adem is from Nigeria, but – Adem grew up part of his life in Turkey. He speaks Turkish. So Adem and Barricade, like they got a they got a little thing going on on the court. Mm -hmm. Like he could say, (laughs) oh, go here, go there. They could say it in a different language. Nobody else on the court even knows. (laughs) And and I'm saying it to be funny, but I'm also Mm -hmm. saying it to be real. Like those guys have an established connection. But then Adem, I believe he also speaks Spanish too. So he can have a connection with a Daimar too. Like that's the thing about this team. This is a a team of international players at this point. And so they have to use that to their advantage. Yeah, that was like one of the things I was kind of like curious about when it's like, how are all the like, you know, just anytime there's any sort of guy coming from overseas or English, not his first language. It's like, I wonder how they kind of manage that that communication barrier. But one thing I do want to touch on and and I I, I want to talk about Mick Cronin not showing up to the postgame press conference the other day in a minute. But one thing I've kind of heard just on Twitter and what I kind of remember in general when I was covering the team for for a couple months or so uh, when I first started covering UCLA as a whole um, was Mick Cronin. He can kind of be he can kind of be kind of tough sometimes. Right. It might be tough love or he might just be a little strict, uh, whatnot. You know, there's some people on on. Hey, how many of these guys on the current roster are are even going to be willing to stay based on the way this season's going and just maybe the way Mick treats them or whatever the case may be. But you look at the guys like Hawkes and Tiger, all those guys stuck around. And while Hawkes probably wasn't, you know, the, the superstar many expected him to be uh, two or three years ago, he's, he kind of blossomed and has obviously kind of taken off uh, there with the Miami heat now. Right. That's an all rookie team player right now. Yeah. At, at the moment, who should be considered for rookie of the year. Yeah. And someone that Mick Cronin can kind of point to going forward as his example of someone he's kind of brought along, especially there at UCLA. But mm-hmm. 
I remember when I, again, when I was covering the team, we were able to go to practices, watch practices quite a bit, um, a little bit more than we even were for basketball, which was pretty enjoyable. And Mick was always kind of a good interview, more or less, or at least he was going to give you some stuff to work with. But oh yeah, for sure. What is what is the vibe? What is the tone like at practice? And if you guys aren't watching that much of practice, uh, what is it like during pregame warmups before uh, they tip off for some of these games here at Poly? Well, every time they have a media availability, I get to watch at least 10 minutes of practice and okay. I film it. And so I can look at it afterwards. And one thing about it, you know, they always begin with the stretches, but there's always good energy in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that one thing that sometimes you see in practice, which may end up translating to games, is that they're still searching for their shots. Like even sometimes in practice, I will see them miss what you would con- completely open shots mm, okay. okay there's because you're not going to have somebody guarding you when you're doing some drill and you're shooting these right. corner threes because you're just rotating through and so mm-hmm. i think that you know if this team was able to establish a consistent three-point shot and i think part of that has to do with the players who are driving into the, the post which would be dylan andrews sebastian mack like those guys have have, have to kick it out you know, mm-hmm. every time and assistant coach Rod Palmer said this when he spoke in Mick Cronin's place or after the the Cal game, mm-hmm. he said that, you know, every time a guy gets the ball and we put them in position to score, it doesn't mean it is for them to shoot. Like right. sometimes it is, quote, yeah. sometimes it isn't. And so they have to continue to develop that, like, unless you know for sure that this shot is going in or you're getting fouled got past the ball. And mm-hmm. when they pass the ball, players like Lazar, Dylan, Sebastian, whoever ends up on the outside, even Barricade, Brandon Williams, Will McClendon, they have to be willing shooters. Right. That's one thing I talk about all the time when I'm covering the Sparks from the WBA is players don't necessarily have to make every shot, but I don't want you to be on the court if you're not a willing three-point shooter. And that's what we saw one of UCLA's best women's basketball players do in the WNBA mm-hmm. last season, Jordan Canada. She became a willing three-point shooter. No longer would she pass them up, and she started making more than 30% of them. Because that's the thing. These are all college basketball players. They got there for a reason, whether they yep. came from international or they're domestic players. They yep. are here for a reason. These players know how to shoot. Mm-hmm. If they didn't, they would have never made it this far. You know, they know yeah. how to play defense and, and they're learning how to play Mick Cronin's defense more and they're pretty successful at it. If they're holding teams to the low 60s for the whole season, barely giving up over 70 the whole season and they haven't lost the game by more than nine points the whole season, they're not getting blown out. They're just losing. And so they just have to learn how to win. And so Mick Cronin said – and. You know, this is my first season covering UCLA basketball, but he said that's the first time that he's ever skipped out of a post-game conference. And other people who've been covering right. the team longer than me agreed with him. And mm-hmm. he said that he just needs to show the team that he was with them, not worried about anything else outside right. that locker room at that moment. So, you know, personally, I'll give him one. He sent somebody mm-hmm. else. He didn't come. Now, the players didn't speak as well. That's not something that you want to establish as something. And so if it happens again, then it's like, okay. But Mm -hmm. I I give everybody one because 
I don't think they thought, even with everything going on, I don't think they thought they'd be six and nine, mm-hmm. you know, right. heading into this midseason mark. I don't think they thought they'd be one and three the first four Pac-12 games. Like, this is not – it's not acceptable. No, and the fans are letting them hear it. Um, so that, that that was the thing that was interesting. So uh, Mick Cronin doesn't show up. You know, you guys are tweeting about it saying he he's not available for the media – after the cow game and automatically the fans just go at it. Oh, he's, he's hiding. He's a sissy or whatever. Like, you know, every kind of word in the book. And I'm like, are, do you guys even know Mick? Like Mick Cronin yeah. is the guy. Like, I'm like, just even for my, even when I covered him a little bit, I'm like, yeah, there was definitely like a re I don't think he chose, like, I'm not going out there today. There I don't want to talk. There have been, <laughs> there have been multiple times this season, James, when he has given us, 15 to 20 minute Mm -hmm. media availabilities and we're talking about only having at most six reporters there at a time we're not talking about a room full of people so the -hmm. fact that you know i can ask a question five minutes into it don't say something for another 10 minutes and ask another question yeah 10 minutes later like that's availability so i don't (laughs) have a problem with it right if other people do that's up to them but i don't have a problem with it um so far this season, you know, he was out with COVID for a little bit. So we talked to Darren Savino, who is associate mm-hmm. head coach. Uh, right. We talked to Rod Palmer now. I personally like hearing from very voices because if the mm-hmm. very voices are saying the same thing, you know they're in lockstep together. Right. And they are saying the same thing. Like, they want these players to have confidence in themselves. They want these players to shoot when they're open. They want these players to pass when they're not. They want them to mm-hmm. always play UCLA level defense. They want them to at least score 60 points because they believe if they score 60 points, they believe they can win games scoring 60 points. But yeah. they haven't even been scoring 60 points lately. That's the thing. It's just like it's come to a point where it's like the defense can be as great as it wants, but you at least got to get to 60. Right. Now, realistically, like 70 probably would be better. And this isn't an 80 or 90 point team. But if they could get to 70 – Man, they would start rolling off wins in Pac-12, and they could turn this season around real quick if for the second half of the season they started Mm -hmm. averaging 70 points. Now, is that a tall ask? Maybe so, but (laughs) if these players have the confidence to shoot when they're open, because I've seen them pass up open shots. Every single player on this team, especially the ones that play on the perimeter, I've seen them all pass up open three. You know what's worth more than a two-point a three-point shot, James. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, you got to be willing to take threes. I'm sorry. Like, twos aren't going to cut it. Mick Cronin Mm -hmm. has said it. He said in the last media availability that those mid-range twos, that long mid-two, the worst shot in basketball. Everybody knows that now. It's statistically proven. Like, you got guys at MIT who never played basketball, but they're just like, don't take that shot. You know, the sports analytics that have has kind of moved into the realm. And I agree with them. Like, at this point, a Dembona, all his points need to come in the paint. You know, a guy like Will McClendon, who was shooting 40% for a lot of this season, you got to open three, take it. Dylan mm-hmm. Andrews, shoot some three. Sebastian Mack, like, he's a better three-point shooter than he's shown. That's what I'm saying. Like, these players are better shooters than they've shown, but they have to take the right shots, too. It's not just taking more shots. It's taking the right shots. And for them at this time, those threes are going to add up a lot quicker than those twos. 
And so if you're struggling scoring, if you can get, you know, eight to 10 threes down in the game, that's 24 to 30 points that you weren't going to get otherwise. But when they have these halves and they go one for 10, they only picked up three points behind the three-point line. That's tough. Like when you score yeah. 23 points in the first half of a game and you expect to win it, that's tough. It's extremely hard to do, James. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Want to pivot a little bit because obviously, as I mentioned earlier, you have a lot of duties, much like myself, um, and you're covering a lot of area, a lot of ground, a lot of teams, a lot of players. Um, so we're just going to jump over from your duties, obviously covering UCLA men's basketball. We talked a little bit about the Sparks there as well. But also you cover the high school scene as well out in Long Beach, including a national powerhouse St. John Bosco. Uh, one of the players from St. John Bosco recently signed on signing day uh, to UCLA football. I wanted to kind of get some of your thoughts on Cameron Jones, the running back. And uh, just kind of what you've seen from him, what 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 is he like as a player? Maybe you've been able to talk to him a, a few times. I know I have. Uh, seems like a good dude, but uh, just kind of what are your thoughts on him as a player and, and just what kind of guy are, are the Bruins getting here? The Bruins are getting a big power back who has breakaway speed. I've seen this guy run 60-some yards for a touchdown. So this isn't just the guy who's going to get you four or five yards. He can, and he can mm -hmm. follow that game plan. But if he gets some open speed, he can turn up those miles per hour and break away and get you that 20-plus yard run that teams really crave now. But Cameron Jones, the whole time I've seen him, he's been a great player. The whole time I've been covering him, he's been a first-team all-area football player. Mm. And mm -hmm. once he got that opportunity to commit to UCLA, he did, and he didn't waver. He stuck yeah. with it and – I think one great thing about him is his junior year, he had more than a thousand yards rushing his senior year. He didn't, wow. but I think that's actually beneficial for UCLA I agree. because he was, I won't say he was saving himself, but they yeah. have so many good players at St. John Bosco that no one player has to ever do it alone offensively, especially not in the backfield. And so for him to not have used and abused his body, his senior year in high school, that is going to bode well for a backfield in UCLA who can always use another great running back. Mm -hmm. They can always use a good running back. And if Deshaun Foster sees fit and believes that this is his guy, they got him to sign. Yep. Yeah, he's not enrolling early, but if he gets there in the summer and does what he needs to do and he's you know feeling good and good health, mm -hmm. I don't see why he wouldn't be. Right. somebody to be considered to be in that backdoor rotation. Now, I'm not saying he's going to walk in there and be the starter and get 1,500 yards, but that's not even what UCLA really does. Even mm -hmm. when they have somebody of that quality, don't they split? Wasn't Charbonneau sharing? Yeah. Uh, as long as I've been covering the team, it had always kind of been a two-headed monster. I think Charbonnet's last year was really the first year where it's like, Charbonnet's the guy, I just give him the ball and let him go. And like he had, a, he was really the workhorse that year. But no, as you kind of said, and I, I agree with you, um, much like what he did at Bosco, I think he'll fit right in here with the UCLA backfield and what Deshaun Foster does. They usually go with a two back system. Uh, just this past year, they were running, uh, I was almost at James Harden, uh, TJ Harden out there with Carson Steele, who was the transfer from Ball State. Uh, he decides to declare early and he's headed for the draft. So now, TJ Harden is going to be there. Anthony Atkins, the transfer from Navy uh, this past year, 
uh, is coming back for his second year and I think has the the potential to probably be that second guy because they haven't really gone and gotten themselves uh, a running back out of the transfer portal. So I think they like what they have already. And even if we don't see Cameron Jones right away, get in and start getting some carries at UCLA as a true freshman, I think they're going to stash him away this year. Maybe if there's an opportunity to get him in some games, whether that's a bowl game or the first three non-conference games at the beginning of the season, they'll try and kind of get him in a little bit if he's healthy enough to go. But right. I think he's that guy that they're going to stash away to have in the same way they did with TJ Harden last year. I keep thinking TJ Harden's in his third or fourth year. I think he's now just barely going to be a true junior this upcoming year uh, for the 2024 season. And he played a little bit and kind of broke out a little bit there as a true freshman. And it kind of gave you that idea of, okay, they have someone here for that next year. And that's what he kind of became, especially uh, with, with the, the performance that he had in the LA bowl there at SoFi stadium playing in his own backyard, obviously being a guy who played at Inglewood high. So um, I think Cameron Jones will fit in nicely uh, with that. And obviously there, there's a pretty solid pipeline there uh, with UCLA and St. John Bosco with RJ Jones, Ty Lee, some other guys that you've covered uh, there at St. John Bosco during your time in the area um, as well. And they had Stephen Blaylock prior to that. Um, but yeah, they, they got add, a good thing going on over this, there. Go ahead. Let me add this about Cameron Jones too. Mm-hmm. So not only is he a good slash great running back, He's also a good slash great receiving back. I've seen him make acrobatic catches out of the backfield. Several of his touchdowns his senior year came receiving and Mm -hmm. like running routes too, not just like leaking out the backfield and doing whatever. Like Mm -hmm. they could split this guy out and line him up. And oftentimes when you see recruits, you don't necessarily believe their height and size. Mm-hmm. Believe it about Cameron Jones. If they He's list him boy. at six two, if they list him at six two, six three, two twenty, two thirty, then that's what he is. Whatever he's yeah. listed at, that's <laughs> what he is. So this is a guy that when I first talked mm-hmm. to him, I asked him, I said, you know, what's your dream school? And he's like, Oh yeah, you know, Alabama, Georgia, SEC. So that this is a guy who in his mm-hmm. mind thought that he was had the ability to play high level, top level SEC right. football. So mm-hmm. him versus Big Ten in a year or two, I think he can do it. But he is only going to be as good as his offensive line. Like, we saw this. Yeah. We can transition to this. We saw this in the, the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Because remember when we watched the Rose Bowl? And mm-hmm. I'm like, why are they you splitting yeah. carries? Bet- I'm like, why are they splitting carries between Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards? Mm-hmm. Well, look who had two touchdowns <laughs> yeah. his first two carries <laughs> right, in the right, national right. championship game. Yeah. Donovan Edwards. Now, mm-hmm. one, he made a really good, you know, he kind of bounced off one. But that second one, he was basically untouched. Yeah. Like, the first. That was pretty him, incredible. Between, like, the first three big runs that Corm and Edwards had, they had 100-plus yards after contact. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Was it after or before contact? I think it was uh, before it, contact. It, it, it was before oh, contact. Before yeah, contact. That's crazy. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were <laughs> yeah. just like, just untouched. Like the yeah. sea was parting. And so if UCLA focuses and develops a line that parts the sea, mm-hmm. Cameron Jones is your guy. Even if they don't, he's still going to be a positive running back who can get you four or five hard yards. But if they get him a dominant line, People will love him, and they'll love any other back they put in that backfield, but especially him, because he will 
break tackles. Like Cameron Jones is not the type of bat who is going to let the first person who touches him bring him down. He didn't yeah. do it against modern day. Right. And if he didn't do it against modern day or Servite or whoever else he played in high school football as he develops and you know he becomes a part of that that weight room they got going on at mm-hmm. UCLA and that nutrition, like yep. that's gonna be big for him because mm-hmm. I know that they have a lot of influence over what you eat from sunup to sundown at yep. UCLA. They sure do. Cameron Jones gets in that, he would probably Oh man, like the sky's the limit for him, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say Derrick Henry, but I don't want to not say it. Like I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's gonna win the Heisman trophy, but like right. this can be a go-to back for you. Like he could have easily mm-hmm. easily been a four-star recruit. Why he wasn't a consensus four-star, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't make the the ratings. The, the rankings are. Uh, I gave I up on the, the ratings, ratings a long but, time ago. But he for sure, <laughs> right. he for sure could have been a four star all day. No, no doubt about it. I, again, I think he'll do great things. Real quick, you mentioned offensive line. I just did an offensive line kind of breakdown, preview, recap, look ahead, whatever you want to call it. I kind of took a little deep dive into the offensive line. Go ahead and check that out at ocregister.com. I'm doing a six-part series, and we're about midway through that series. We'll be covering the defense here the rest of the week for UCLA football at ocregister.com. Real quick, we have a couple minutes. Uh, You did touch on the Rose Bowl there a little bit. Uh, We'll try and hit two quick topics here. One, we did hear, uh, I believe it was yesterday. It's kind of been a whirlwind couple couple days here in the coaching world. But Nick Saban decided to retire. Both you and I were there for his post-game press conference. At the time, we did not know it was his last post-game press conference with Alabama. I do remember him on the podium and then walking off, and then his family was there waiting and embracing him. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. But I feel like that's just kind of always a thing at bowl games. That's common. That's common. It's kind of common. She didn't think anything of it. For sure. So I'm curious. You got to be gracious in defeat. And I think he was. I thought he he was pretty good. He's not a sore loser. I mean, he's had his fair share of winning. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Seven national championships. Yeah, he's good. He'll be all right. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't necessarily see it coming. And yeah, you can mm-hmm. always do that hindsight and look back and say, oh, yeah, right. that last thing he said where he thanked the media for the season. But like, yeah, when I you remember. look at where they started, almost losing to mm-hmm. South Florida, like mm-hmm. legit, almost losing to South Florida and making it all the way to the CFP, beating Georgia, who at the time was the number yeah. one team in the nation. Like, that was one of their best coaching jobs they've ever done at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And for them to finish where they finished, like they did as best as they could do. And they almost won that game. The only reason they didn't win that game is because Michigan had the resolve to score and tie it up late in the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter when we went down on the field, James and Michigan had the resolve to score in overtime. But yep. Almost any other team that was in the CFP in that Final Four, Alabama probably would have beat them. Yeah. So if Alabama could have got past Michigan, mm-hmm. they he could have been retiring as as another <laughs> national champion. And, and you I know don't what? Know if that, and I don't I don't know if that means like I don't retire because I won another national championship. But at some mm-hmm. point, like you have to retire. Yeah. I mean, he has like six or seven. I think he has six. He would have been like seven or at least seven there at Alabama, something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's six at Alabama and one at LSU. 
Uh, real quick wrap up here. We have a, a, a couple couple seconds. Just your thoughts on Michigan. Obviously, we saw them at the Rose Bowl. Just kind of your quick thoughts on them going on and winning the national championship game. I think Michigan has left a blueprint for everybody. And this mm -hmm. is the blueprint for high school football and even below. Like, you win those games in the trenches. Yeah. You have to have a sizable offensive line and you have to have an agile defensive line. And if you can produce those two things, you have a championship level team. So if UCLA wants to focus on anything, they need to focus on offensive line development. And a special thanks to John once again for joining us here on the podcast. Very much appreciated. Uh, always love working with John. Um, never a bad time. Uh, we were just working out as recently as the Rose Bowl game, as we mentioned during our conversation there. Did we know that that was going to be Nick Saban's last game? Didn't think that was the case. But in the back of my mind, I kind of did believe that it was possible, right? I remember kind of looking out that direction when, when he was talking. Uh, I think it was at Disneyland. And I'm like, isn't this supposed to be his last year? Or wasn't there some thought of this being his last year? Uh, only to come to find out a couple days after the Rose Bowl game. And he goes ahead and, and it's announced that he is going to be retiring. So, um, yeah, so that everything's been kind of happening quick here. Um, just earlier today, Kalen DeBoer, the Washington head coach, is now the Alabama head coach. Alabama moved quickly, uh, had several different candidates. A bunch of other guys got some uh, contract extensions and, and some pay raises as a result of all this. Uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State, uh, Dan Lanning there at Oregon and so on and so on. So Kalen DeBoer is the guy. There had been talks about him uh, waiting to kind of get a contract kind of figured out with Washington during the season. I think they wanted to wait till after the season. But hey, when a job like Alabama becomes open and they reach out to you the way they did Kalen DeBoer, you can't blame him for taking that, especially when you consider the number of guys that are going to be leaving the Huskies for the NFL that were on that roster for the national championship game there for Washington. You kind of can't blame him. A lot of that talent's going to be gone. Michael Penix being one of them, a guy he had a good relationship with. And, and the reason why Michael Penix came to Washington was because of the relationship he had with Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb there, the offensive coordinator. Speaking of Ryan Grubb, I would imagine he's going to head over to Alabama with Kalen DeBoer. But you never know. I mean, now Washington has an opening as they get ready to jump into the Big Ten here. Uh, so that should be interesting to see. On the topics of guys getting hired and whatnot, there were three coaching positions that have now been filled to help complete the staff for UCLA football. Akaika Malloy was officially elevated from his defensive line outside linebacker role, and he's going to be the defensive coordinator now moving forward. That is the fourth defensive coordinator in as many years for UCLA football, but I think they have a good one here with Malloy, who has a good relationship with a lot of the guys that are currently on this roster. Uh, I remember seeing on Twitter guys like RJ Jones, defensive back, former linebacker, Shea Pitts, who was on the defensive staff as a graduate assistant. A lot of guys speaking highly on Twitter about the hire of Malloy. Obviously, Malloy was responsible for help bringing in Liatu Latu and the Murphy Twins, for example. Darius Moasau, I believe, is also part of that group that Malloy was responsible for. So now, obviously, they're going to have to go ahead and they're going to have to try and restock some of these positions here on defense. But I think you're off to a good start uh, when it comes to filling out the roster when you have Malloy as your defensive coordinator going forward. Now, speaking of the position that is left vacant as a result of Malloy being elevated, that outside linebacker defensive line position, that will now go 
to Tony Washington Jr., who was hired over from Oregon, a, a younger guy, a guy who has ties to Southern California, played at Los Osos High School here in Rancho Cucamonga. He also, as I mentioned earlier, played at Oregon and was a Rose Bowl game MVP in 2015. Chip Kelly also announced the hiring of Billy Fesler, who is now going to be the quarterback's coach at UCLA, taking over for Ryan Gunderson, who did take the offensive coordinator job at his alma mater, Oregon State. Fesler was on Joe Moorhead's staff in Akron in 2023. Not the greatest record for Akron last season, but the offense did average 18.5 points per game and 287.2 yards last season. He might be the youngest coach on the staff now. Um, obviously, no strangers to the Big Ten as someone who played quarterback very recently at Penn State from 2014 to 2018. So that kind of completes the coaching staff. Everything's in good shape there as of now. No openings available at UCLA when it comes to the coaching staff. Now it's a matter of them rebuilding the roster. I talked about during that conversation how I spent some time writing about the offensive line and kind of breaking some of that down a little bit. I also have articles up at ocregister.com. I'll have the links in the description. I talked about the defensive line. I talked about the quarterbacks. I also talked about the skilled position players, which includes receivers, tight ends, and running backs. So make sure you guys go ahead, check those out. I'll leave that in the description for you. Read them after we finish up the podcast here and uh, we'll get you up to speed of, with everything that's been going on so far this offseason and what the direction for this program looks like going forward. But with that being said, thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. It is a new year. We have some new stuff, some special stuff that is coming along here pretty soon for the Believe in UCLA football podcast that I'm excited about, and I know you guys will be too. So with that being said, thank you guys again as always, and I'll catch you guys in the next one. Thank you, everybody. This is the Believe in UCLA football podcast presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.